I'm Austin Basis, and this is Actor Speak, where actors speak and I listen. The actor I'll be speaking with today is Ellen Gerstein. Ellen Gerstein is an award-winning Los Angeles filmmaker, actress, writer, and director. She's a member of Women in Film, the Alliance of Women Directors, LA Film Team, Film Independent, SAG-AFTRA, and a lifetime member of the Actors Studio. As an actor, Ellen has worked with talented directors including Martin Scorsese, Mark Rydell, Mimi Leader, Rob Marshall, and Danny DeVito, to name a few. Some standout roles include Judge Judith Stein in Law & Order True Crime's The Menendez Murders, Crazy Carol on Southland, and her recurring role on Shameless as Aunt Randy. Ellen starred in the award-winning feature film The Golden Age and in the short film Passage. She can also be seen in the feature Treasure of the Black Jaguar and in the film Swelter with Alfred Molina. Her acting work ranges from the comical to the poignant, working on shows like Better Things, The Morning Show, playing the part of Jane Deasy, James Dean's agent in the TNT movie James Dean, Cuba Gooding's landlord in the film Murder of Crows, and as Sophie the Homeless Woman in Annie with Kathy Bates. She also played Aunt Lisa in Friends and Jerry's Aunt in Seinfeld, so you've probably seen her talents grace your screen at one point or another. Ellen has also performed in multiple plays in Los Angeles and wrote and performed in her one-woman show, My Psychotherapy Comeback Tour, which was a semi-finalist in the Samuel French Short Play Contest and is currently being developed as a mockumentary. Under the banner of Lulu Productions, Ellen has produced award-winning films, web series, music videos, documentaries, and theater. She is currently developing several new projects, including Just South of Normal, a half-hour dramedy series in the vein of The Odd Couple about two high-functioning men with developmental disabilities. I was lucky enough to participate in an early reading of this project, which was adapted from her award-winning short film Waiting for Ronald, with a blended cast of disabled and non-disabled actors. Come Away With Me, another film Ellen adapted, directed, and acted in with Charlie Robinson, has won over 15 awards and been in over 30 film festivals around the world. She also wrote and produced the song Come Away With Me Tonight for the film and made the documentary The Making of Come Away With Me about the creative process of making the film with an all-female crew and the recording of the original song. Ellen's other projects in development include feature screenplays Cookie Face and Big Al Hip Hop and Her and the web series Globetrotting from Home with L.E. Sue and Sylvia's Just Sayin'. What impresses me most about Ellen, besides her acting chops, is her persistent creative pursuits coupled with her warm, welcoming spirit and sense of humor. Her passion for storytelling pushes her to constantly be creating new projects for her and her colleagues and in turn tell new stories. So please welcome everybody's favorite aunt and my actor's studio mishpucha, Ellen Gerstein. <laughs> Hi! Well, welcome to uh, this little thing I call actor speak perfect you know working with you and being at the studio with you as a more experienced actor than me uh it's nice to have people that have that life experience and are also colleagues on the same level but you could learn so much from um and thank you for including me in your readings and and all that and um I also just wanted to find out more about you. This is what I've been missing during the pandemic and during this time away from the studio and away from set where we have conversations as actors and artists and we relate on a level, I think, and, and with a, a language that 
most people don't necessarily understand. And so, hence I called the, the podcast Actor Speak. So thank you very much for like being, uh, being a guest and uh, for, you. Uh, you know, spending some time with me chatting. I'm excited. Okay, so I want to take it back to way back when you first started getting your hopes and dreams uh, in this, in this cr crazy career we've chosen. When you were younger, a kid, is there a moment that you could point to in which you remember seeing a performance or a movie or uh, a TV show or you know play and and were just wowed by it or blown away to the point where it sucked you in to find out more about what this thing is and how it works? Yes, um, for a play, I remember seeing uh, Golden Boy with Sammy Davis Jr. Whoa. And I was very, very young. And I just remember how much it touched me and how much I was drawn into it. And uh, that really stuck in my mind. And then the other um, thing was, I really love film, you know, as film's my favorite, favorite. And many years ago, and I mean many, I saw this film, Somebody Up There Likes Me. It's the Rocky Graziano story, who was a heavyweight champ. And I knew a lot about fighting because my dad would take me to the boxing uh, matches all the time. And so I saw Paul Newman play Rocky and Sal Mineo was his best friend. Wow. I'll never forget this movie. Uh, and I was really young. Uh, I fell in love, of course, with Paul Newman and told my mother I was going to marry him. But Beside that, <laughs> it, I was so enthralled by it and the relationship Paul and Sal had. And it just it blew my mind. And so I loved that. And the other film that really got me, I was a little older then, Splendor in the Grass. And that was with Warren Beatty and Natalie Wood, a very a love story that, um, like a forbidden love story. And I just tell you, I, I, it was so in me. And uh, those two films really uh, rocked my soul. And, um, and I just loved what I saw, but I wasn't geared to, to be an actor. You know, when I grew up back in the day, usually a woman was a teacher or a social worker or something like that. And my parents weren't actors. I knew nothing about it, but um, those two films stuck with me constantly. And uh, yeah, I, I wasn't, I didn't go to acting uh, school till I was 27. I had already been a social worker for many years, but those films, even when I think about them now and talk about it, it's so in me that it, it doesn't leave, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, it's interesting. Cause um, I think I relate to you because you remind me of my aunt and you know, just family. And my mom, I think had a similar experience. She became a teacher and, but she did plays throughout school and performance in Brooklyn. It was called Sing. Like I did it when I was in Brooklyn, my uncle did it um, where the kids put on their own productions each grade. And for me, at least when I was younger, like Rocky came out uh, okay. like, so I was born the year I was born Rocky, the first Rocky. Uh, came out. Um, I think it won the Academy Award. Um, but then every time a new Rocky would come out when I was a kid, I would see it and and immediately go want to box and like be <laughs> part of that world. And I didn't understand 
how much power that film had to make me want to literally go directly from the movie theater to the store and take my piggy bank and buy a pair of boxing gloves. My, my brother and I had one pair of boxing gloves between us. It's all we could afford. And so we would use one glove each and just kind of open hand with the other. But like, this is the stuff that movies do to us, I think. And, and TV shows, but back in those days, I feel like oh. the seventies and eighties film had a little more power than the, you know, your average television show. Um, it's yeah. gone in peaks and valleys with film and TV and what it's in. I mean, obviously now TV is very powerful because of the mass uh, landscape with the streaming services. So before you became 27 and started like studying, was there a point where you got to experience a little bit of like what you saw as an audience, as a performer? Did you do any plays? Did you do anything that where you were the center of attention or you were performing for an audience? No, uh, my mother put me in drama uh, when I was very, very young and I was so shy. I begged her to not let me make me go. I begged her. Really? I, said, I can't do it. I'm not as good as them. I, it's not me. I'm, you know, blip, 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 blip. and then I was a social worker. I hadn't done anything. And um, I was a social worker in New York for uh, in the city for six years. And as I was doing that, I kept thinking about acting, acting, but I'd never done it. And um, I remember in therapy, as every Jewish person is in therapy. Of some course, point, or right? analysis back in the day, right? Wasn't it called analysis? Yes, I was, and Dr. James Spingarn was my doctor on the Upper West Side. And I remember saying to him, I really want to be an actress. I want to act. I wanted, you know, and I said, but what if I'm not successful? And this is the great thing he said to me. He said, Ellen, you can't be 90 years old and think, well, I could, I should have, I, you know, I wish I had done. He said, success is not so much the money and the this and that. Success is doing what you want to do. That's success. Because not everybody does that. Some people are chained to certain jobs or whatever that they don't want to do, but they have to do it. So do what you want to do. And from there, um, from my therapy session, I went to, <laughs> to the uh, Strasbourg Institute and uh, signed up. So signing up and getting into uh, actual the brass tacks of technique and, mm -hmm. you know, Strasbourg uh, work that we do at the studio. How long was that bridge between this idea in your head of what acting is and your love of and your, your need to do it, you know, and your encouragement from your therapist uh, to the point where you that there's all this stuff that you need to do to be able to do it well, you know, behind the scenes. Did that affect your relationship with acting? Did it, did it make you love it less, more? Was there a kind of a love-hate thing for a well, while? First of all, I have to say this, and then I'm going to uh, answer you that. The phone call home that you're going to be an actor, <laughs> that was like, that oh, you yeah. quit your secure job as a New York City social worker, and you're going to be an actor. I heard this for 20 minutes <gasps> from my mother. She was like, what? Don't tell yes. me that. Uh, we didn't send you to college to be an actor. You don't quit your yeah. job. Oh, my God. It was a nightmare. And then my dad was on the yeah. other end. 
And the whole conversation then had nothing, no one talked to me, my mom talking to my dad going, talk to her, talk to her, say something now <laughs> for 20 minutes. And my dad just said, you know, well, what are you gonna do? <laughs> that's that's as, about as uh, confident of a, a slap on the back that you can get from an, a Jewish father. <laughs> I, I when I went and studied, my first teacher was Ernie Martin over at the Institute and he was very well loved and a wonderful teacher. And um, so I just loved everything about it. I loved the process. I loved learning. I we used to um, uh, it used to be the Institute was on Hollywood Boulevard and we used to go and sign up for rooms where we could do exercises or rehearse our stuff, our scenes for class. And I was there all the time, all the time, whether my partner, scene partner was there or not, it was just me. I was doing this, I was doing that, the inner monologue, the sense memory, the and I absolutely fell in love. And that was, I just, you know, I took a job as a barmaid. I know nothing about drinking. I'm the one who comes to the table and goes, who gets the dark drink with the cubes? Very small, drink it slow. So <laughs> right, exactly. I knew nothing. So anyway, I fell in love with it. And the rest is history. Was there any teachers other, you said Ernie, um, was there other teachers that really stood out and this was the Strasburg Institute in LA or New York? This I started out in New York. Right. And I started out with Ernie Martin. Okay. And uh, Lynn Tufeld was in my classes and from the studio, you remember Lynn, and Carrie Shear from the studio. We still are good friends, the Three Musketeers, and we started way back. But after Ernie Martin, I asked to be in Lee Strasberg's class and I auditioned for him and I got in and at first they were small classes and then it built, built, built. Yeah. And, uh, Harvey Keitel was in my class. Um, uh, Lainey Kazan was in my class. Uh, loads of people were in the class. Yeah. And he was six months in New York, six months in LA. So uh, a friend of mine who was uh, in class said, she says, I'm not waiting six months for him to come back. I'm going to LA. And I thought, that's a good idea. I've never yeah. been to LA. So we went to LA with my dog, she, uh, Aixa, myself and my dog went to LA and we studied in LA. And then six months later, we came back to New York. I did that for five years back and forth. And then I just settled in California because there were flowers. And <laughs> yes, and the weather is what it exactly. is. Right, exactly. It that I mean that's just a testament to someone who really wants to learn and is is really energized by the technique and the and and the lo their love of acting to do that for five years to go back and forth and follow your teacher, yes. <laughs> you know, follow you. You, you get away from me. <laughs> yeah, he couldn't get away from you. He was trying. He tried for five years and then he gave up. Um, but uh, so, <laughs> do you? primarily depend on the actor studio sensory technique when you work or uh, have there been other influences? Um, uh, the only other influence that I took a lot of classes was Stella Adler, not her acting class, but her script analysis class. Ooh. Because I'm, I've, I, you know, I coach and teach. 
people call me from all over and send me their scripts. Please break it down for me. So script analysis is like your roadmap. It's so important. And then you do your acting technique on that roadmap. So, um, uh, and I love script analysis. And she used to have huge seminars uh, for, for that. And everybody was in them. She was it for script analysis. And I felt Strasburg was it for, for acting technique and stuff. Now with the Stella Adler stuff, what is the basis of that? Because I, I know a lot of it is, um, I think De Niro was a big stat, Stella Adler He was in the script analysis class. Right. And so uh, uh, he always talks about how choice and your, your, your choices as an actor are just as important as anything you're going to be able to do with an acting technique, making the right or not the right choice, making the most strong, strongest choices, the most powerful dramatic choices are going to serve you best as an actor. Uh, It doesn't matter how skilled you are. If you make, you know, your instincts are off, you're going to, but he said Stella Adler helped him with that. What is the basis of her technique? With those choices come from script analysis because script analysis tells you every transition, every beat, every color, the littlest things, the littlest things like, let me give you just a tiny example. Like if the writing might say, I'm happy, or it might say, I'm very happy. There's a difference. See, and most people won't see that difference, but there's differences like that specific. And once you learn all that, then you can make nice, strong choices, you know? So, uh, uh, yeah, I just went to her for script analysis, but I went many, many times and she was brilliant at it. Where did she teach out of? Did she teach out of? A long time ago. Um, This was on uh, Melrose, right before it goes into Santa Monica. There used to be an adorable, wonderful theater. You know, used to be a lot of theaters here that aren't here anymore. Yeah. It was a great theater. Uh, and uh, she used to take over that theater when she would come from New York. So when you work on a role, when you get an audition, how how do you approach it with all these techniques at your at your disposal? Is there a conscious like I'm going to use some sensory here? I'm going to use some obviously script analysis starts everything. You read the script, you you know, the words that the character is saying, you, then, then you have to make choices based on that and the, the circumstances. How do you work on uh, material? How do I work on material? First of all, I read it a thousand times because each time I read it, I get something else from it. And, uh, and Stella told us that, just read it and read it and read it. Cause some people read it twice and you know, they think that's it, but you'll get more if you keep reading it. And then I use, if I need, I use substitution. I come from working very personally with myself. I'm not big on imagination, although sometimes I will have to use it. Like, remember when we were at the lake house or something like that, I have two choices. I can either imagine and specifically the trees, the shrubs, how the lake went, what now I can make that and believe it, or I could use something that I know in my life that gives me the same feeling as that lake house. So it depends, uh, but mostly I use personal use from myself. And if, um, you know, if you're connecting with another actor, you don't, like Lee always said, if you don't need, don't use, 
You know, if it's happening and coming, then don't think you, you, but if you need it, you better pull it out, you know? So I like to have a strong moment before that drives me into the scene. I like to use substitution and I like to use subtext. What I do, I call it my subtext exercise. And now everyone will know it. But anyway. Um, I think I, I use it too, but you, you could say it. What is it? People I rehearse with, I'll ask them if they want to do this exercise. And they say yes, but it takes a long time. They didn't know it took that long. Yeah. You, I'll say a line that's written, one line. And then I say everything that comes to me from that line. And deep inside, if I want. Um, like if I have to say to you, Austin, I can't believe you did that, whatever that is. Right. I'm going to say, whatever comes up, like you're an intelligent man. Why would you do that? It wasn't nice for the other person. And I know you to be a nice person. And then I fear now that you're going to do it to me. And I'm feeling really hurt for that person. And it reminds me, I go on and on till I exhaust everything. And I come right back to why did you do that or whatever the line was you know so you do the line you do all the subtext don't stop and go right back into that line so you don't break it off and then say the line so those feelings go into the line then when i'm finished the other person can take a line and do it uh, but not until i'm finished or they're finished so it takes a long time you're much older by the time the exercise is over oh, gray hair uh, you have married yourself to that script like you have don't put, then the next time you don't do the subtext, it's there. Trust me, it's there. It's fabulous. It's interesting because I always find that there's so many different ways to say the line that you're given and you're only given one way to say it. So the the natural thing as, as a person that's trying to br bring themselves fully to it is to know how you would say that line and, and what's going on, why you're saying it, all the stuff like that, all the stuff that you go through and then go back to the line and all that stuff is there and you just drop. All that the, stuff is there. Yeah. And you have to trust. You know, that's a big one to trust. Yeah. And you have to trust yourself and trust that it's going to work. If you do all this work for it, then when you go to do the job or do the whatever the scene, then you have to let it go. You put the, all that stuff on the shelf and trust it'll be there because we don't want to see you working on it. You know? No, of course, of course not. Do you, uh, and that's the, I think with all these techniques that I talk about on the show and obviously I only use a, a certain amount of them. I, I really do feel that the end result is not going to be different than anyone else. It's just how you get there is a personal choice and a, you know, a personal preference for each person. So some people could get there by using an as if or using the other person in, in a Meisner type of environment where mm -hmm. they're using and putting all their focus on the other person and, and coming from that aspect and, you know, kind of really buying into the given circumstances. You know, I think from an actor perspective, I did Meisner before I did sensory stuff. And so when I did Meisner, I got to a point where I'm only using my range of normalcy, my range of emotions. I'm not really dipping outside of my comfort zone because I'm only reacting as I would react in those given circumstances. So when I entered into use, you know, the substitutions and all the stuff you're talking about, it was to deepen and strengthen those choices 
that pulled me out of my safe zone of emotion uh, and, you know, physical take a risk, take a yeah, risk. Of yeah. course. And come in with a backstory that's, Oh yeah. That's bigger than just Austin showing up on stage and reacting truthfully in a given circumstances. I love those backstories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's fun. So do you work differently when you have more time versus less time? Is there uh, kind of priority list when you say you have a day or two and then maybe you have a week or more when you're working on a longer uh, term project? Yeah. Um, Can't really use, do you use that subtext exercise when you have a day to like work on something? Um, I used a moment before, got to have that moment before. Always, yeah. Substitution. And yeah, I'll go, if I can't do it as long as I'd like to, then I do a shorter version. I want to marry that stuff, you know? I want it in there. Yeah. Marinated. Um, yeah. You're a teacher now after years of acting and practicing all these techniques that you studied for so long. Has your technique based on the ones you were taught evolved and changed uh, from the time you started studying at 27. So you studied five years back and forth in LA and New York, and you have this solid Strasbourg specific technique. Mm -hmm. Going forward, how did that evolve? And when did the Stella Adler stuff come in? And then when did your twists and takes on all that stuff come well, in? First yeah. of all, you know, I've been teaching and coaching for over 25 years. What? So, yes. <laughs> and so I just shocked myself. But um, there are, I'm very personal with my teaching in the sense of you might need something else from me as this person. It's not a whole blanket. I could give you an exercise because I see that what you need. This one might not need that exercise at this moment. They'll do something else. But I love to to be more individual with uh, with uh, them. And I have a lot of exercises that came about from my teaching and coaching. I'm still method, but I do have some things that I do uh, that um, really has a tremendous result. And I, I love them and I've created them myself, yeah. We've been using a very similar um, subtext exercise in uh, Greta Seacat's uh, Three Sisters rehearsal process, where we talk about what we want, what we need, and how we would say that in the dialogue without, it's a kind of a paraphrase, but we never really go to the line until later we come back and we go to the line. But it's talking out your needs, talking out your subtext, how you feel about the other character, all this stuff. And then saying the line in your own, you know, your own words, and then coming back to it with the given text and trying to keep all that stuff there. So your, your influences is, is, uh, is widespread in the studio. Um, Listen, I, just saw, I just saw Peter Gregory yesterday and he's in it too, right? Yeah, he is. He plays, uh, I've been playing Killigan um, and he plays uh, Vershinin, my nemesis. <laughs> so uh, I've been jealous of him for three <laughs> months already. <laughs> So I, I came up with this, this question because I feel like different people have different entry points in a scene. They talk about Mer Meryl Streep starting with how the character speaks, the dialect, uh, you know, there's something 
that's important about that for her as a starting point or an entry point for the character, or maybe even the most important thing about that character, and then everything else kind of falls in line. For you, what do you think the most important thing is in the execution of a scene for an actor? Is it uh, objectives, tactics, actions, motives, subtext, spontaneity, listening, connecting with the other actor, or, or, or the emotional life or truth of the character? That's, isn't that hard to say? I think it is. I think it's impossible. That's why I ask it. Up this question. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I'm asking the question because I want to see them in the alley later. (laughs) Yes, when forced to answer, some actors, different actors, have come up with different things. There's no like one way. Most people say all of them, but I say all of them. But what's on my mind is listening, connecting, spontaneity. Yes. All the rest is is just as important, really. But those are the things that sort of flashed in my head. In a sense, and I just thought of this because we've been talking about subtext, doesn't spontaneity come out of subtext? Spontaneity really comes out in trusting in the moment. If you're fully in the moment, that moment's the only moment. So I say every moment is the only moment. And when you do that moment fully, it will take you to the next moment. Yeah, that's that's very Meisner of you. (laughs) That is very Meisner. So like also talking about preparation. So you audition for a role, you get a role, and obviously you booked the role because you did something in the audition that impressed the casting director or producer or director. Is there something you do differently between booking the role and then doing the part to further strengthen your choices or deepen your choices? Or have you done your work and you're just going to show up on set and do the same thing? Well, you're never going to do the same thing. I can't believe you said that, Austin. No, I know, I know. Devil's advocate. But you know what? Sometimes there's little things that I do that I'm sure other actors do. Oh, sometimes I'll put a picture in the purse that I'm going to carry. And I look at that picture right before I go on. Sometimes I'll put a little piece of jewelry uh, either in my purse or on me that maybe someone gave me, or I think is good for the, like a lot of characters uh, that I do, I wear a cross because uh, I play a lot of characters that I think would would wear a cross. And, um, you know, just little things like that, or I'll wear, wear something special or take something with me special uh, that I feel will help that character uh, bring me to wherever I, wherever it goes, I'm fine, you know, but it will be structured for that character. And um, yeah, a lot of times, a lot of times I'll put a picture uh, either in my bra or in my little purse or someplace. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, because pictures uh, touch me. Sometimes I listen to music, a certain music uh, that brings me to a place for that. Or I'll listen to music that I think that character would listen to. Yeah. You know? I've taken a habit from when I studied with, Elizabeth Kemp, we used to do these journals as the character where we'd write and draw pictures of how we saw ourselves oh, in wow. like, like different, like, so like drawing aspects of it, a journal aspect. And I always take into poetry and I feel like that's a, such a simple expression. Uh, it's kind of like the improv of writing where there's no rules. You could do whatever you want. You could rhyme it. You could use punctuation. You could use capitalization. You could do whatever you want. And so 
I am able when I have time to write a poem that invests me more in the circumstance of the character and helps me bridge the gap between my thought and creative and that of the character. So I'll write a poem as the character, maybe to another person in the story, if mm -hmm. they're kind of pining after someone. Um, and I always find it's like fun. It's a fun way to just connect my experience uh, because obviously I'm gonna write from my experience right. and then kind of filter it through the character's voice and even the way, so if I were, you know, we were doing a longer run of like, you know, Ronald and Edgar, that would be something I would be doing all the time, trying to figure out how the character thought and, and felt and, and processed feelings, emotions, perspective, and write poems. I do that type of stuff and uh, maybe conversations with this turtle. Was it a turtle? Was it yes. a turtle? Yes. Is that in the, is that in the show too? Yes. <laughs> of course, of course. What's the turtle's name? Mikey. Mikey. Yes. <laughs> um, spoiler alert, guys. Uh, being uh, someone that goes in for a lot of comedies and has a sense of humor and a sense of comedy, but also studied with Lee Strasberg and learned the sensory work at its deepest level. When you approach comedy and drama, do you approach it differently? Uh, with the different end result, or is it the same approach knowing that it's a different end result? Well, and everything starts from re real, being real. And that's something that a lot of people that uh, do comedy, they don't understand that it must start from being real and or else it ends up, you know. Not funny. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Pathetic. So, um, but you know, my whole family was very funny. So we just were funny. And so, um, I don't have to too much, do too much with uh, a scene or, or a job that's funny. All, all I really hope and pray when I get a job like that is they let me just go and let me just do what I want to do. And then if they don't like it, they can tell me whatever and I'll do something else. But um, if they'll just let me go and do, it's pretty much, pre I've had wonderful, wonderful experiences of that with directors that trusted me and it was funnier than anything. And, and they would say things like, well, let's see what you dreamed up for this, you know, that type of thing. And it just let me go. And I loved the character. I, and it just happened from the character. So I would say I, I go from a base of reality for both drama and comedy. And then, you know, like, if, like at one uh, series that I did, I was the, um, the uh, housekeeper for this hotel. And it was pretty funny. And so I felt like the housekeeper really thought she owned the hotel. That's how she worked, you know, like it was hers, you know, when she got the kids that lived there to do her jobs, you know. Yeah. You know. So it just gave me this wonderful character that started from reality. And the reason why I wanted to be more of a boss is I got other people to do things for me because I had a bad back. And so, um, you know, just it all blends together. If you start with reality and, and start writing a backstory and, and then connect a little bit. Also, the other thing what I think is a great thing to do is let's say you have a scene, you improv around that scene. Like you don't have to do the same uh, uh, lines. You don't want to. You know the beginning, middle and end. You know what's going on. You do an improv on it and then you go right into the scene. It's fabulous. Things come out you never knew in the moment. And uh, it really makes you loose and open and all that. 
but I always feel like that with comedy. So do you use improv a lot in your rehearsal technique? I think the answer is yes, but yes. But are you comfortable with improv in process on film and TV within the context of the story? Mm -hmm. Have yes. you done a lot of that stuff? Like, um, well, since I write everything I've directed, I do like to hear. My <laughs> <laughs> but but someone will come up with something that's uh, uh, terrific, and um, we'll do that. You know, I'm never, I'm always open. But if someone's having a problem with a scene, the best thing to do is say, just you know, let's just improv it a little, and then all of a sudden they go back in the scene and they kill it. Yeah, that's how good improv uh, could could be. Plus. You have to be open. If you hire an actor, you have to see what they bring, for God's sake. They're going to bring things that maybe you never even thought about. You yeah. Know? And uh, you have to be open to that, I think, if, as a director. I mean, yes, it's an auteur industry, but it's a collaborative process. You can't do it by yourself. And no. if you're not going to be open to the expertise and the contributions, the gifts of the people that you hire around you, I feel like you're cutting yourself short. Yeah, you know, I want to just tell you, yeah. the short film, Waiting for Ronald, I did many years ago on film, not video, but on film. When I did that, I had everyone come to my house because I said it was Ronald's birthday. It wasn't really, you know, right. but it was Ronald's birthday and I had put out all this lunch food and then I had a big cake for Ronald. Everybody thought it was Ronald's. They just picked it up. I had the candles. They helped Ronald uh, blow out the candles. They brought a baseball, they this, that, and the other. And they sell and they all said, happy birthday, Ron. They started to believe it totally. Yeah. And what it did was bring everyone together because I wanted them to have a close relationship. Yeah. Improv can do a, a structured, you know, not like I'm a piece of broccoli, but um, <laughs> you know I mean? a structured improv, fabulous. Now, having worked on stage, in film, on TV, do you approach the different mediums differently? I, th I think that film is more intimate, I think. Um, it just has so much in your eyes. Stage, I don't think they can see your eyes that much, not like film, but... It depends. It depends on what what it is, you know, what the what the show is or what the stage uh, thing is. It just depends. But I do approach everything from a real base. That's for sure. You know, I always liken it to a, a dial or like, uh, you know, the controls where on stage you have to, you know, address the whole house. You have to get communicate oh. what's going on to everyone. So volume wise, physically, there has to be a bigger engagement and TV is a little less because the, what's the screen is going to be 70 to hundred inches at most. And so, and it's in mainly mediums, right? Most TV isn't in close-ups the whole time. And then film, it's like a huge, huge screen. And you're right. It's like the littlest yep. look or twitch of the eye or face tells a total story that as an actor, you have to be aware of, like if you're, feet or your hand is not showing they're not going to see you wringing your hands if you're nervous about something right you know, if it's just a close-up that's not going to work for the shot <laughs> it may help you express it in your face if you're you know wringing your hands underneath but ultimately as an actor you have to know that's not being seen it has to be seen on your face 
your eyes tell it all, I think, are really unbelievable. And like you said, the littlest thing tells you about the character, the way they sit, the way they hold their purse, the way everything about it. And, and I love uh, it, it has to be visual and in the sense of you have to have real behavior from that character. And the littlest thing tells you so much. Yeah. I love it. This ends part one of our in-depth discussion. Keep listening to part two of my conversation with actress Ellen Gerstein. Thanks again to Ellen Gerstein for speaking with me, and thank you for listening. And thanks to my lifelong friend Jason Liebman and up-and-coming musical prodigy Dylan Hazen for composing and producing the Actor Speak intro music and theme song. It pays to have talented people in your life, and I'm extremely grateful for this sweet tune. One last note. I want to give a special shout out to Jenny Josephson for her guidance in conceiving and producing this podcast. Thanks for all your advice, patience, and support. Subscribe to Actors Speak on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, you'll be eligible to win some cool Actors Speak swag. Once again, thank you for listening. This was Actors Speak.